GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining us for this week's podcast. And we're continuing our two-part series on filler fatigue. And uh, the topic we've got is beyond the surface, addressing patients' concerns of too much filler fatigue. In the first part, we focus on the causes and consequences of overfilling with dermal fillers. And today we're going to be discussing the concept of filler fatigue of itself and its impact on patient satisfaction and also their emotional well-being. So I'd love to introduce to you our guest, Klika Kelly-Beasy from uh, KB Aesthetics. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Yeah, wonderful. It's great to see you again. And uh, Kelly, I'll get you to just do a quick little introduction to yourself for those who may not have met you previously. Yeah, absolutely. So I started in this industry about 20 years ago where I I started working for a plastic surgeon and really became quite intrigued by aesthetic medicine. And when I came back to Australia, I decided to actually start injecting and did some education and started injecting on the side from working in my emergency job. Um, I also did some education in emergency nursing. So then I decided to combine my passion for education and aesthetic medicine. And now I do aesthetic medicine and do a lot of education for aesthetic medicine. So I've got the best of both worlds, if you ask me. Awesome. It's always great to see someone being able to follow their passion and turn it into, well, I said it's not necessarily a job because obviously if you love what you do, it doesn't feel like a job at any point in time. So True. I love what I do as well. So, um, but look, we, we're going to be talking today around the concept of filler fatigue and said its impact on patient satisfaction and emotional well-being. So, you know, so we can talk about the psychological aspects of aesthetic treatments and how overfill facial features can lead to patient dissatisfaction. So I'm just really conscious on, you know, discussing around the, the focus on techniques for managing patient expectations, their, you know, the realistic outcomes and delivering aesthetically pleasing results that go beyond just simply putting in the filler. So I think in the first instance, can we understand what is filler fatigue and why is it important to address this as a concern amongst patients? Absolutely. So Filler fatigue is otherwise known as perception drift, I guess. So what happens over time is we get little bits of filler, we treat certain lines and wrinkles, and then we get used to that new look. So as we look in the mirror, we don't really see how much we've changed. And then little by little, we change little things about our facial features. And over time, we can start looking very different to our original self from these small little tweaks over time and when you look in the mirror you don't realize that you look so different but if you were to look back at a photo you have changed a lot and I think because it's this gradual change it's not really picked up and all of a sudden before you know it you look a little bit strange and you look a little bit overfilled but you haven't noticed it so it's a very gradual little process the filler fatigue. And I suppose the question is I mean is it Something that's common, I mean, ultimately, yes, if someone hasn't seen you for a long period of time, I mean, they, well, and they obviously had the courage to actually say something without obviously trying to offend you, that you might make that aware. But I mean, is it is it something that is common and or is, you know, is an issue as such, just, just generally? I think is an issue in a, in a small percentage of our patients. I think that it's probably a bigger in, issue within the industry with injectors who have been in the industry for a long time, doing lots of different treatments on themselves. In terms of our patients, I think it can just slowly happen. And if the injector's not 
forthright in saying, no, I don't think you need that treatment, it can very easily happen that as we get older, we start to see little lines and wrinkles that we don't want and we don't like. So we want to get a little bit extra filler in there. And we're just trying to fight the tolls of aging. And unless someone tells us no, it just creeps up on you. So I think I think it can become quite common as the acceptability of having dermal fillers becomes more and more and more. Yeah, I understand. So I just um, want to understand how common, you know, overfilling and facial aesthetic procedures are and what are the potential consequences for patients? Yeah, we don't have any really good data to tell us what the percentages of people that have this overfilled faces or filler fatigue. Unfortunately, there's no good clinical studies because who is there to say who's overfilled and who's not? That's a personal objective assessment, I guess. So there's no clinical data on that, but I would probably say that there's maybe about 15 to 20% of people out there that are overfilled. And, and I do think that it's probably becoming more and more prevalent in the clients as well as in the injectors. Okay. And how can you effectively manage patient expectations regarding the outcomes of dermal filler treatments? Because obviously someone's coming in and they want something done. I mean, um, you know, obviously you're going to try and deliver the treatment they want, but well, I suppose the first instance is I'd, I'd love to understand how do you, you know, set that framework, give them an understanding as to what they're going to look like after the treatment, knowing that it's not as you walk out the door, because of course the treatment obviously still has time to, to bed in with you and then managing those expectations, you know, of those patients. Yeah, I think it's a really tricky one. And I think bringing it back to being a very medical treatment. So in other areas of medicine, the doctor or the nurse, practitioner, the nurse is the expert in the scenario. And unfortunately, sometimes in aesthetic medicine, we are led by the patient telling us what they want and we will give them what they want. However, we need to be really aware that we are the expert and we are the ones that should be advising them and prescribing them the right treatment for their facial features. So really bringing it back to that medical assessment, um, having a good understanding of the filler that you're using, the rheology of the filler, how it's going to improve over time, how much it's going to get better. Is it going to hold on to a lot of fluid in certain areas? And if so, then don't put it in those areas or you know, use it cautiously. and having a bit of an understanding of what part of facial aging is occurring on your patient and how much filler they're likely to need to restore that and when to say no. So I think it's really important to say no to people and say this is not going to make you look better and I don't believe this is a good treatment for you so I won't be able to do that for you today. How do you explain to them that, you know, obviously the treatment, particularly with filler, you know, is going to obviously take a little bit of time and what they can expect to see in the future so let's say they're not quite as satisfied as they would like to be right now because they've got an expectation they're going to walk out the door looking a particular way but you know they're obviously probably going to get there you know given a little bit of time how do you have that conversation with them and sort of whether it's you know percentage volume or whatever it happens to be how do you have that that conversation in a way that mm -hmm. they leave satisfied knowing they're going to get the result but it's just not instantaneous as some of the other treatments might be yeah, I think it takes experience and time to to be able to do a really good consultation with your patient and to set that expectation. But knowing the filler range that you use and how it's going to work, I know the range that I use will generally get about 15 to 20% better. So I have a really good conversation with my patient that 
you know, if you're 50, one millifilla isn't going to solve all of your problems. So I explained to them it's about prescribing the right dose of filler for their, their concerns, their level of facial ageing, their desired outcome with lips or cheeks or jawline, that there's a certain amount of product that we would need to do. And often I say to them, let's do a treatment plan over a six to 12 month period. We'll do a couple of mils here. We'll address this, this and this. And you're probably going to need more. But when they come back for their review at four to six weeks, and the filler has integrated and had a bit of a hydrophilic effect, then maybe they're really happy with that and we stop there. But maybe we need to add a little bit more. So understanding, um, again, understanding facial aging, understanding your rheology, but really taking the, the lead in the consult and, and setting up a treatment plan over a period of time will probably allow you to have a really good expectation with your patient and have a happy patient at the end of the treatment. Now, what techniques do you use to assess the patient's emotional readiness, you know, for dermal filler injections? I mean, there's obviously people who are frequent flyers, but there's also, um, you know, call it people that are relatively new to it. But how do you assess their emotional readiness? Yeah, there's a, a new tool out, um, so the body dysmorphia screening, and there's also one around cosmetic uh, readiness. Um, so you could use a tool. I just find that having my conversation during my consult about what the patient's motivation for treatment is, what bothers them, and what is their expectation, I'll often... I'll often come across a couple of little red flags in the way that they describe what they want to achieve and whether or not it seems like a realistic thing. I might, if a patient is telling me about a line or a wrinkle or some perceived flaw on their face that I can't see for the naked eye from a, a social distance, then that might be a red flag for me that this patient probably has unrealistic expectations and probably there's something going on there that I probably shouldn't treat them. So, yeah, just during your consult, having a really robust conversation about motivators and using your clinical expertise and just your gestalt, your, you know, like your spidey senses that tell you that this patient maybe isn't right for having a treatment just now or maybe that treatment's not right for them. I think you generally get really good at picking up, you know, social and psychological clues during consults. And then would you steer them in a, you know, in a, different direction. I mean, ultimately, there are people that probably shouldn't be treated at all because they're, they're obviously not in the right state of mind. But let's say they've come in and they want filler and you think that that's probably not the thing they should be doing for whichever particular reason. I mean, how do you sort of, you know, if they've come in and they want something, and obviously, typically, that's what happens. People have, you know, seen something or had a friend or something you know, that said, well, you've got to go and get this. So therefore, they turn up along those lines. How do you steer them then in a direction that might not be what they had their heart set on as they walked in the door to, you know, once again, I suppose one can manage them best as a patient. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, I have managed to, um, probably from my ED background, I'm, I can have a quite a direct conversation with people and I find that the best way to be upfront and honest. And I might say to people, look, you have a different face shape. You have different anatomy to your friend and you don't need that treatment or that treatment's not going to suit your anatomy or you're going to need three times the amount of that person because your lips are a different shape. So I will be very um, upfront with the patient about um, what is a realistic expectation. If I don't think that it's a good treatment for them, I will just say to them, 
I don't think this is the right treatment for you. It's not actually going to correct your concern or it's not going to make you look better. In fact, it might make that area look worse. The good thing about the psychological screening that APRA has brought in means that we've now got a way to say to patients, well, unfortunately, as per the psychological screening, I don't think you're fit for treatment at the moment. And then we can actually refer them back to a psychologist or a psychiatrist for review. So there is that little bit of an out that we now have on the psychological side if the patient really is not appropriate for treatment or they have really unrealistic expectations. However, I do think we have to be very gentle in the way we deliver that. So yeah, being able to be upfront and honest about what the outcomes are possible. Also, we need to tell our patients that filler isn't going to fix everything and sometimes that what they're after is a surgical outcome. So I will often tell patients that my fillers can't do what you want. You're actually after a surgical outcome and I'm sorry, that's not going to be achievable. Whereas I think the people that try to create surgical outcomes with filler are creating these overfilled faces or unrealistic expectations. Just on that, I mean, with the new changes, obviously, that are coming through, as far as, you know, call it patient's awareness and or understanding that, you know, there are obviously new rules that, you know, we all have to play by in Australia. Yeah. It's going to be interesting, you know, to see, you know, how much, well, if you sit there and say, well, so I've got to put you through this psychological test, which, you know, obviously you've never had to do before, even though you've been getting treatments for years. Yeah. Is there any sort of hints and tips? So I know it's very early days, of course. We're talking it's only days into it as such, but how that might be managed from, from a clinician's perspective? Yeah, I think we were all a bit nervous about how we were going to broach this subject with our patients. And I think a lot of us more experienced clinicians have been assessing our patients more in a subtle way, but we've through our consults, we have been already assessing their motivation and their expectation and their psychological readiness for treatment. However, now we have more formal process. So you can choose to use whichever tool that you wish to use. The tool is actually not a formal requirement for non-surgical treatment. However, it is the prescriber's responsibility to assess psychological appropriateness of treatment. So most of us have adapted one of the tools. Tool that I use is a seven-question tool. It's quite non-confrontational very quick and easy to use with some basic questions. And then during my prescribing consultation with patients, I just asked the patient to explain to me what their motivation for having treatment and what their expectations are. And then I just say to them, is there anything about your body or your facial features that causes you undue distress, that causes you severe anxiety on a daily basis? And based on those sort of fairly non-confrontational questions, I can get a general idea whether or not this patient may or may not be suffering a psychological illness. I'm absolutely not an expert. However, this is just how I've been able to adapt it into my current practice. And I think that'll evolve as we get used to the screening. Yeah. And I think as I said, part of it is for the patients to understand these are the rules that have been set by the authorities. They're not necessarily the ones that we've randomly chose to apply ourselves. And I think I just uh, and look, yes. you know, it's going to be like all things, it's going to be a re-education process for patients as part of it. But at least, as I said, it does sort of give the doctor or injector, obviously, a safety net to be able to work towards as well. That you know, we obviously need to play within the bounds of the rules. And I'm just yeah. wondering, is there any, any other advice you've got for, you know, once again, fellow clinicians to ensure patient satisfaction and emotional well-being while trying to minimise filler fatigue as well? 
listen to your patient, listen to what their motivation, what are they there for? You know, if the patient is there for an unrealistic expectation on reversing all the signs of aging with, you know, $500 and one miller filler, you're going to set yourself up for failure or you're setting yourself up for an unhappy patient if you choose to treat that person. So really focus on your consult. I can't say it enough. I think the consult's really important in understanding patients' expectations, motivations, and then just really set a clear expectation of what you can and can't achieve with filler. In terms of filler fatigue, I think it's really important to say no to your patient and to tell them that that is not achievable or that won't make you look better. It might make you look worse. I had a patient fairly recently last year who was extremely overfilled and I initially thought when I met her that she had a bit of a psychological issues going on with some BDD. But when I uncovered things, it turned out that she'd just been injector hopping. She'd been going to different injectors. And when she told them about her concerns, they would just put more and more filler in her. She knew that she didn't quite look like herself, but she didn't really know how to stop it because everyone she saw just put more and more filler in her. And I was actually the first person to say, no, no more. You you look a little bit overfilled and I think we need to dissolve some. And when we dissolved it, she she looked 10 years younger. She was so much happier and she just is is almost like a different person. And it, it's really changed her life because her work colleagues were were talking about her. They were gossiping about her. She had terrible self-esteem, but she just didn't know how to get out of the cycle of just filling, filling, filling. So sometimes it takes someone to be really honest and just say, no, it's time to dissolve. You don't look good anymore. And it's really not the patient's fault. It's sometimes the injecting industry that we are just fixing one problem with another syringe of filler when that maybe isn't the answer. Excellent. Look, once again, fabulous insights and learnings. And I really do appreciate your time today, Kelly, sharing your knowledge and skills with us are very, very grateful. So thank you very much for your time. No worries. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for this week's podcast. And we'll look forward to seeing you in a future podcast very soon. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.